I'm David McGee, and this is the Mayo Lab Podcast. The conversation among so many parents, so many students, uh, particularly high school students, is if you want to get sober in high school, how do you do that? Across this country, there are 40 high schools, roughly, that are working at doing just that very thing. They are what we call recovery high schools. These high schools create a unique and special experience for students who are suffering from substance use disorder, who have struggled with substance misuse, but they want better. They want to change their lives, but often it requires, according to the data, They have better chances of success, Alexis, if they can get in a school specialized for their care rather than going back into the school, their pre-existing school. Right. And I think we have a great guest today that's going to talk to us just about that. Trevita Godfrey, she is the principal of Fortis Academy, HCDE's Recovery High School. And she has 23 years of experience as an educator, prevention specialist, and counselor. And she that really has equipped her to lead this high school well. And I think we're going to have a lot of insights for parents in this episode. The Integrative Life Network was created as a family of intimate, trauma-focused treatment centers for mental health, substance use, and intimacy disorders, with locations in Nashville and Chattanooga, Tennessee, Oxford, Mississippi, and Boulder, Colorado. The Integrative Life Network's specialized programs aim not just to treat the problematic behaviors you can see, but also the underlying trauma that's driving that behavior. If you feel like your mental health and behavior around substances, pornography, or sex is becoming unmanageable, it may be time to seek help. Call the experts at Integrative Life Network today for a free phone consultation to see if they have a program that may be right for you. They work with most major insurances on an out-of-network basis and have a full continuum of inpatient programs from two-week intensives, 30-day residential options, to extended care programming. Talk to an admissions specialist today at 615-610-5399 or email them directly at info at integrativelifenetwork.com and see our website at themayolab.com for more information. All right, Dr. Trevita Godfrey, uh, welcome to the Mayo Lab podcast. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. So how in the world do you find yourself in the position of serving as principal at one of the recovery high schools, uh, not just in Texas, but one of really the 40 across America? Well, it really uh, began several years ago when I was in college. I worked um, at a recovery 
uh, residential facility when I was in college. Uh, it started as volunteer work. My college uh, required that we completed so many hours of volunteer service. And so I started working at a recovery center. And I liked that so much that I became a certified recovery specialist. And so when I came to Houston as a teacher, I wanted to continue that work of counseling uh, and working in my community. And so I became a school counselor. Uh, and from there, I, I gained some leadership positions in education. And I heard about this wonderful opportunity at Fortis Academy to provide some specialized uh, recovery and skills training to students who are trying to get over their substance misuse. And so when I heard about that opportunity, um, I just gravitated towards it. And they were looking for someone who had a background, not only in education and leadership, but also in counseling. And so what I like to say is I'm, I'm forever a counselor. That's where my heart is. That's really my niche. And that's really what I'm good at. And, you know, they say, do those things that you're good at and things that come easy mm -hmm. to you. And so that is how um, I ended up at Fortis Academy. And I must say it is one of the best opportunities that I've had to work with students and families. I can hear that. Uh, I can hear that excitement in your voice. And those of us that both live a life in recovery and have worked with students in recovery, we know that them having passionate uh, mentors, passionate counselors, passionate people engaged with them can make all of the difference. So, so Fortis Academy uh, that you're the principal of, that's in. Uh, the Harris County um, Department of Education. So those that don't know, right, Harris County, if isn't that right, is the county that encompasses the whole in the Houston metro area, right? Yes. So you have the inside the Houston city limits are inside Harris County. So yes. you're you're in one of the more populous areas in the country. Absolutely. And and so uh, Fortis Academy is opened. Is it a public school? Is it a public private partnership? What is it? So uh, Fortis Academy is actually a public institution, so we don't charge tuition, and it's open to any student in the 26 districts within Harris County, but we also service students outside of the county, and we currently have students at our school that are outside of Harris County. Okay, so you've got uh, maybe I think you can take up to 30 students, and I think mm -hmm. you told us uh, before we got on the air you've got about 21 in now. Tell me, like, what experience does a student have in a recovery high school where they're trying to stay sober? What looks different within Fortis Academy that they don't that's different from what they might experience in their previous school? I will say the thing that you can see visually is the size. Um, and so we have a small school, we have a max of 30, and uh, we have about 21 students currently across six, six districts. And so because we're small, that's by design, so that our students have that capability where they can really work one-on-one -on -one and really receive a customized recovery plan from their academics to their treatment, to their counseling, to their recovery coaching, even down to what they eat on our campus. Everything is personalized and customized because we are so small. So that's one of the things that's different from a typical Texas high school. And if you know anything about Texas, everything's big in Texas, including <laughs> our high schools. And so for a student to try to create uh, a sober situation in a school where there's 4,000 other students is very difficult. Mm. And so here for us, that's one of the things that students really enjoy. They enjoy the small size. Uh, things are more controlled here and they're more structured. So that 
is a few of the differences um, at Fortis. But we also try to follow an uh, outpatient treatment model where our students are receiving academics. So they're learning from face-to-face -face teachers who are certified, but they're also receiving treatment and counseling throughout the school day. So that's something that's completely different that mm. you wouldn't find at an average high school in Texas. And how do these students respond to that counseling that they get in? I mean, I'm I'm guessing they come to the, they have to want sobriety to be admitted into the school. Is that correct? Absolutely. So they have to show a commitment and they have to express that commitment to us that they're willing to take a chance on themselves and take a chance on us and start that that recovery process. And so if they express that to us and they're sincere about that, that's how they get into our school. So it, it doesn't matter how many times they've tried and relapsed. It doesn't matter how many behavior infractions they've had. We're looking for a fresh start here. Mm. So for a second chance or even a third or fourth chance here. And so as long as they're willing to take that chance with us, then we will admit students to our school. Okay. I love that. Uh, but I'll try to phrase this like this. You gave a great answer, but I'm just thinking about, it's like me, you know, when I go to the dentist, I want mm -hmm. good teeth, mm -hmm. but I don't really like somebody poking on my teeth too much, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So so do you run into situations? I mean, I know they want sobriety, they're there, but sometimes we humans, accepting that counseling and coaching is not mm -hmm. easy. I certainly would imagine in a high school setting, uh, you, you encounter the myriad of emotions and mm -hmm. one day doesn't feel like. So, you know, how mm -hmm. do you work through that process? How do you meet students where they are? So one of the, I, I guess, a sort of simple answer to that would be we really follow a restorative process. And so for us, we want to meet the students where they are. And quite frankly, there are students sometimes who are not um, that interested in receiving the counseling or who are not active participants in counseling. So we do have group counseling as well as individual counseling. Some of our group counseling is facilitated by peers. And so sometimes that helps mm. a lot where students are seeing I'm not the only one, but there's someone who's leading this process who looks like me, who's my age, who has my interest. And so in using that restorative process, students can talk when they're ready. Mm. They have the ability to pass. That's one of our, our big things. If you're not comfortable and you're not ready yet, we understand that. So one of our guidelines is that you always have the opportunity to pass. If you're not comfortable, we can move on to the next person, but we want you there at least listening and absorbing some of the information and knowing that you're not alone and you're not the only one. So it's not always about what they're saying. Sometimes it's about what they're hearing and what others are sharing that will rub off on them. And when they get to that comfort level, they will open up. Mm -hmm. So you said something earlier um, about students wanting to have that one person or that relationship. So we know that um, our students have dealt with a lot of trauma and some of that that is the driving force in their substance misuse. So we really try to focus on counter aces, right? And what that means to us is we focus on relationships and really building that rapport with students so they can have that trust with us. Because a lot of times with these students, they've heard people say, I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to do this for you. Um, and that hasn't panned out for them. So they are a little bit apprehensive. So we have to earn their trust. So we know that that's a two-way street and we're transparent and upfront about that. So when students, you know, they come to the high school, they're participating, they're getting counseling, um, but they have to go back home. Mm 
Mm-hmm. So, so they're, or they get to go back home. I, I don't mean, it depends on the situation, mm-hmm. right? I, I don't mean mm-hmm. that it depends right. on the situation, but I'm guessing just like for so many of us, family has such a critical role. Mm-hmm. Um, how is there any components where families are kept in the loop of this or mm-hmm. brought into this situation? How do you approach the family with your students mm-hmm. in recovery? So upon the initial enrollment, we meet with the family together and then we split them. So we're meeting with the parents or the guardians and we're meeting with the students separately so we can assess what their needs are individually and as a family. So we work with our parents uh, through parent workshops, which we do in person and we do virtually because we really want to focus on parents understanding that cycle and the process of addiction. It's hard uh, being a parent and looking at your student not doing well. It's hard to see I'm doing well for a couple of days and then I might regress. So we really try to help parents understand that that process is not always going to be a linear process and that it is a learning curve. And it is the journey of not just the student, but the parent. So we provide support in the form of workshops. We have dinners, we have movie nights, we have um, activities that our parents and students can participate in together as a family, because we know sometimes just based on circumstances, some of those family relationships have been broken. The trust has been broken. And so what we try to do is build that up as much as possible. And we do that by really responding to the needs of not just the family as a whole, but those individuals that are part of that family. Mm, That's so good. And I love what you said of recovery is not a linear upward hill. You know, it's not always going to be good Mm -hmm. days and bad days. And so I'm assuming, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, that there are probably some students in your school who maybe have relapsed or had really Mm -hmm. bad days. What Mm -hmm. happens when they do relapse or they have they go back and misuse alcohol Mm -hmm. or drugs or whatever that is? That's a great question. And for us, in the beginning, we let students know that we do test them every 30 days. So that information is not to be used in a punitive manner. It's not to be reported to anyone. It's just for our purposes of learning. And so they will commit to doing that upon enrollment. So we really get that commitment and buy-in from them in the beginning. And so before we test students, we have a conversation and we talk and we get the students to let us know, hey, hey, this is probably not going to be a test that's going to come up where everything um, is a negative. I'm going to I'm going to show some positives in this test. And so for us, that transparency and that honesty is more important um, than us punishing a student for relapse because we know that that's going to happen. But we also have to teach them to get to that point where they're not hiding things, where they're being open and honest so that they can understand the things that trigger them and they can get better. So before we don't just go into a cold test, we have a conversation. Like, you know, I I may say, hey, what are we going to see today on the test? Or what do you think your your outcome of this test will be today? And I will tell you, 99.9% of the time, they are honest with me. But I do let them know, I'm not reporting this to anyone. Sure, Mm -hmm. I'm going to talk to your family about it, Mm -hmm. because that's your support system, right? When we talk about that recovery capital, that's part of your support system. And so they need to know how they can help you and how they can support you. And what things at home may need to change to really prolong or support this recovery. Do you have a relationship with each of the students at some level in the school? 
Oh, absolutely. I'm there in the mornings. I'm there uh, in the evenings. I'm there at lunch. Um, sometimes I've prepared a special little lunch for them. Uh, I make snacks oh, come for on. them. So, <laughs> what, what do you I'm, make I'm, for lunch? I mean, I need to know. <laughs> so I will make for them. It's a croissant. Uh, and it has ham and cheese on it. And I'll I'll fry up the croissant, which Whoa. is great. And we'll have a little bit of soup that goes with that. They love that. I also mm. am a great barista. And uh. so I make caramel frappuccinos, mocha frappuccinos. And I also make a little punch that they love with um, sherbet and ginger ale. Stop it. Uh, David and Alexis will be at Fortis Academy at uh, 2.30 tomorrow for our our afternoon uh, croissant and uh, coffee. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, You know, that that kind of engagement of being there with them, you think of the model that we – I'm not making any – political statement about uh, how we are making a statement that's empathetic toward our young people. We in this country, for some reason, decided that we could punish students out of using drugs as if they're making this moral choice, you know, and addiction is a moral choice rather than a disease. We know better than that now. And frankly, I'll tell you, I tried to punish my children when they were in middle school and high school out of using substances the same way my parents tried to punish me for drinking. It didn't work. It did not work. What you're talking about is a a proactive model of we care for you. We're going to give you tools to succeed, to to fight against this disease, and we're also going to give you some compassion. And it's really inspiring because I saw your face when you light up talking about <laughs> delivering them frappuccino or sandwiches. And But sometimes... Dr. Godfrey, there are times that separation must take place. Mm-hmm. And in a recovery high school, what, what are the grounds for that? Uh, do, do, do students ever reach that point? We have had students that have had to return to their district And it was just based on what the district felt. So again, we're talking about a paradigm shift. So there are, our students are not perfect. Um, We know that coming to us. So there there will be some times where they need redirection, Mm -hmm. right? And so that type of um, information is given back to their district because we're obligated to provide progress um, information back to them. And so sometimes there may be an infraction where a district might say, you know what, you've done all that you could. It's time for us to take care of this one. This one is going to require a different model. So we're going to look at doing something different. Um, And we have to respect that from those districts. Mm -hmm. But for us, we haven't had um, an infraction that was severe enough uh, to send a student back to their district. Uh, Typically, yeah, typically when a student comes here, they really understand what's happening. And I will say a lot of that is due to the students that are current currently here. So when a new student comes in, they embrace that student. Even if it's hard in the beginning, there may be a student that may be a little standoffish, mm-hmm. but they will say things like, hey, we don't do that at Fortis, or this is how we do things at Fortis. And so they brought into um, the Fortis philosophy and into our way of doing things. Wow. And they share, they share that with students. And we really are like a family. And again, Again, that's by design because we are small. And so we really think of, of each family as our Fortis family. We really do. 
Mm, that's so good. And I have a, just a question of mm-hmm. when students come to the high school, is it after they've been in treatment? Is it before they've been in treatment? How or where along their path do they land at Fortis or is it different for each student? It is different for each student. We don't have a requirement that our students have attended residential treatment. And that's because a lot of the students that we service um, are inner city because we're Houston. And many of them don't have the means to um, attend a long-term residential facility. Many of them sometimes are afraid to reach out to those facilities because we may have some students that are undocumented. um, And so they're not comfortable with uh, sort of anyone having that level of access to them or to their information or to Mm -hmm. their child. So they're a little apprehensive. But we have gotten students from residential treatment facilities. We've gotten students who may have just um, been, uh, you know, expelled from school maybe uh, because they had drugs on campus, which we know is zero tolerance in the public high school. And we may have just gotten a referral from a student. There's been no behavior infractions. The student's attending school, but somebody's noticed that Uh, Things are just not quite right. And they know that that student has a substance uh, misuse issue. And so they will refer them to our campus. So there's there's many different ways. There's not one set path uh, that we see for our students. Hi, I'm David McGee. Now, more than ever before, parents need better information about the challenges facing their children. What sorts of issues to expect and when? and the warning signs to look for. From anxiety and depression to addiction, eating disorder and loneliness, students and their families are facing a mental health and substance misuse epidemic that requires new guidance. My new book, Things Have Changed, what every parent and educator should know about the student mental health and substance misuse crisis, offers a clear roadmap for helping students find the joy they want and deserve. Head over to themayolab.com to sign up for our newsletter and find a link to pre-order my new book. And everyone who signs up for our newsletter and pre-orders a copy of Things Has Changed will receive a digital copy of my expanded student toolbox. Visit themayolab.com today. You are listening to the Mayo Lab Podcast with David McGee. Now... Back to the episode. So, Dr. Godfrey, when we talk about, first of all, when you mention this peer-to-peer work, Mm -hmm. that's something we talk about in the William McGee Institute for Student Wellbeing in our Mayo Lab a lot. Alexis and I get to work with some students that we're helping train to be peer-to-peer storytellers and educators because the research is really clear. You know, there's an old saying, I think, uh, teens get teens on drugs and teens can get teens mm-hmm. off drugs is how mm-hmm. it used to be said. Uh, I think now it's that peer-to-peer um, uh, education and support and role modeling really has dramatic impact. And what you described at Fortis Academy I'm telling you, gave me chill bumps. Mm -hmm. And it makes me think, though, here you are running Fortis Academy in the Houston metro area, a recovery high school. And, you know, over the past year, I have been blessed to be invited to speak at public schools and private schools throughout the country. I'll be in a couple of weeks up in Maryland. I was just down in South mid Mississippi and I've probably gotten to engage with, you know, 15, 20,000 students in the past year. 
And what I find is, no matter what level of funding of the schools, a, a very well-endowed private school or, or a small public school that's barely making ends meet, I find they're all looking for answers of how do we meet teens and support them around mental health and substance misuse in particular? How, how do we – what are we missing? What are we missing with this model? What, what, are, what are you learning? Because you're at ground zero, with people who want recovery, what message do you have for educators? What message do you have for parents? Because there's a lot that will listen to this podcast. Mm-hmm. What do we need to do in our schools? I would say probably the first thing is not be afraid. I know that sounds, um, you know, sounds a little bit different, but but don't be afraid to embrace what's going on. Um, come come out of the denial and understand that it doesn't matter who the student is. It doesn't matter who the parents are. It doesn't matter what the school is. Some students will have this issue and we can't, we can't fear it. We can't push it under the rug. We have to embrace it and really understand what's happening and be open to that. And again, like I said, it's, it's really a paradigm shift for public education to really understand looking at this like we would anything else. So it's, it's not an idea of punishment. It's an idea of learning and getting better and understanding that that person, if we want that person to become a productive citizen, a a person who's out in the world doing great things, then we have to give them the tools to do that. We have to teach them to do that. And so we don't just push them to the side. We get down there with them and, and we embrace that and we give them that empathy and we feel what they're feeling. We feel that pain because that's what it is. For most of our students, there's a pain and there's a hurt and we have to figure out where that's coming from. And we can't be afraid um, as educators or even as parents to hear where that's coming from. And I think sometimes that's where our parents are. They don't want to know the source of that hurt because they feel like that may be something that's negative on them, or that may be something that's negative on my my counselor or my teacher or my school. Mm-hmm. No, it, it's a hurt there. And we all have these feelings and we're going to have these feelings for the rest of our lives. And so we just have to teach our students how to really manage those feelings. So there are other recovery high schools in Texas, I believe. Mm-hmm. I think yes. I said earlier, there's maybe 40 around the country. Most of those are private. So there's only a handful that are public recovery right. high schools. So you, right. you work at a very special place in the Houston mm-hmm. metro area. Mm-hmm. Do you do you get the chance to uh, uh, liaison with other um, leaders at principals at recovery high schools? Or is, is it just so much and there's not enough of them to really be able to around the country to get the chance to do that? Well, we actually have an opportunity at the uh, recovery conference that happens annually to see all of the principals that are uh, the Association for Recovery of Higher Ed and also the Association of Recovery High Schools. There's a joint conference that happens, and that's when we all get to see each other. So that's a great time because we're so far um, apart and we're spread so far out. Mm -hmm. However, I will say um, someone who I always have access to is Sasha from Archway. So Archway is a private um, recovery school in Texas and the principal there. Uh, I, I definitely have access to her. Look to her as, as a mentor for sure, because we've only been open for four years and Archway has been around for a long time. So I definitely have access, mm. uh, to someone close by. 
I've heard about Archway, and I've heard she's quite an extraordinary leader, and I could completely see that. So um, tell me about, like, there's other programs, culinary arts. Like, so tell me about, (laughs) it's it's not just you cooking up the goods. You got some students doing the same Mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, so we have culinary arts therapy is what we call it. Um, And so within our program, students are able to create amazing things. But it's not necessarily about the creation all the time. It's again, it's a learning process. So they're learning about nutrition, they're learning about healthy foods, and they're also learning even about managing money. So within our program, our chef will have students go out to grocery stores. She will teach them how to shop, how to find the best deals. But we also look at what's what's good for your body. What can we do for, for your family? These are meals that we're teaching you not just to prepare for yourself, but also share what you're learning with your families. And so our chef will pick a chef of the week and that student gets to come up. That student gets a budget. They get to figure out what they want to cook as far as their meal. They have a number of people that they're going to invite. So they make everything from the food to the invitations. They do uh, the table. They set the table. They do the grocery shopping. So this is all their meal. So she's teaching them to do all of that. And we invite uh, our partner districts. So if our student uh, chef of the week is from one of our partner districts, we will invite them to come out and celebrate with the students, celebrate what they've learned, what they've created. But we also have the opportunity to do some things outside of Fortis. And so we have a a mini catering uh, business, and that provides our students the opportunity, of course, to learn client relations, customer service skills, right? And even uh, sort of managing their their anger sometimes when they're dealing with with clients and customers sort of Mm -hmm. on that level, uh, managing their time as well. So they do great things. We recently um, had a catering job to create gourmet popcorn. So there was a conference this past uh, weekend in Marble Falls, Texas, and they hired us to put together 200 bags of gourmet popcorn. And so our our students came up with, uh, they wanted a pink and black. And so they created this sort of root beer flavored popcorn and cotton candy popcorn. Mm. So it was was very delicious. So the students work from beginning to end. They also get food handler and food manager certification through our program. Wow. So and it's, I, it's I, wonderful. That is so fun. And I think you you said something about you have a dog on campus too. And what other yes. things do you offer <laughs> your students? I mean, this is like a full-fledged, like I, I kind of want to go back to high school. <laughs> it's great. So we have Blake and Blake is a standard poodle and she's our therapy dog. So she's been certified through AKC. She's our therapy dog and she comes on campus three days a week and she works with students. So we talked about some of those students who might be apprehensive and they may not necessarily want to verbally express what they're feeling. But a lot of times they'll say, hey, can I come and sit with Blake? So she has a little play area and they can come and sit with her. They can cuddle with her. They'll take her for a walk. Some of them will take her outside and play a game of fetch with her. But one of the great things that we did um, around Blake and the dog was we brought in the trainer to actually work with our students and our staff members to really to get them to understand how to manage um, having an animal and having a pet and things that we should be doing and shouldn't be doing um, with the animal. So that was very helpful anywhere from how to give her a treat to how to make her uh, behave or to sit. So all of our students were all using the same commands, which is great. So we were 
were able to do that. And now with, um, you know, our students and their own pets, they've kind of learned a little bit of training for their own pets. And then, of course, the parents love it um, when they come by and they can see uh, they can see Blake. She is a beautiful dog. She's a, a black standard poodle and she's very sweet. Mm. Very sweet. But we also um, have equine therapy. So we don't have the horses here on campus. Our students go to an off-campus site and they get equine therapy once a week. So that's through horsemanship, whether that's through bathing and grooming the horse to riding the horse. So they learn all of those different things throughout the school year. I'm sure parents listening to this, and I'm I'm not a parent, so I'm going to assume right now that they're like, these all sound like great mm-hmm. opportunities for students, and I wish I could give these to my students, but maybe they don't have access to it, they can't. What tools would you say for students or for parents or, you know, their guardians that they could use in the day-to-day and every day for students maybe that are struggling? I would definitely say make sure that you're paying attention to what's going on um, with your student and use the resources that you have around you. Even though I mentioned we have these large Texas high schools, there are counselors there, there are administrators there, and they have a wealth of resources. So reach out to them, but not just them. Even talking to your family doctor or your pediatrician, if you still have a pediatrician, a lot of times, especially um, here in Texas, we use some of the same assessments that are used in the medical field. So we are using that same language and we can talk back and forth. So reach out to your family doctor, your pediatrician, reach out to your school counselor and ask for those those resources. If you see your student struggling, don't wait you know, two months to get an appointment. Have your school counselor just reach out, have that administrator. Uh, reach out. And and most of the time they can give you some resources or they themselves um, are resources and they can talk to your student in the interim until you can get something more long-term set up. So one thing, uh, Dr. Godfrey, when what I hear from parents a lot is, you know, they we parents just want the best for our children, right? And so often when they get into recovery, as you noted, uh, recovery is not just this straight line up. It's often fits and starts, and that's just the way it works. And parents, I find they'll come to me often if their child has um, relapsed. And they're, of course, they're frustrated, and of course, they feel the pain all over again. Um, but what I always try to remind them it is that every moment is a new beginning and that if you believe in your child and you continue to provide that support, their odds of finding success go way up. But I'm guessing that when you have a student that falters who wants recovery, that's why they're in the recovery high school to begin with. I'm guessing there sometimes are a lot of tears and a lot of pain mm-hmm. between you, the other counselors and, and teachers at the school. How do you deal with those situations when you have a student relapse? I I try to tell myself I'm the co-pilot on this journey. And so I I try not to internalize all of those things. And so I'm I'm the co-pilot and the student is really leading this journey. And I think, you know, even when I'm driving home on the freeway, I may hit a pothole. You know, I I may even have an accident. There are things that I I don't know that 
that stuff is going to come up. And so I can't necessarily control that. And so this is the same thing. This is one of those things. I can't control a person, but I can provide the tools. I can help build the skills and I can be a soft place for them to land, a safe place for them to land, but I can't, I can't fly the plane for them. And so that's what I think. This is your journey. And I want them to advocate and understand how they can make their journey the best for them. So it is hard. I mean, it's it's definitely hard to see that because you know that they're hurting. And so I think for me, it's trying to really solve what the problem is because yes, the substance misuse is a problem, but that's not the root problem. So mm-hmm. really looking at what I'm doing and, and investigating more and trying to get to what is the root of the issue and really trying to solve that problem. And then more times than not, that kind of caring and that kind of work takes hold and you get to celebrate with students who not only reach graduation in sobriety, they graduate, you have some going to college and fulfill dreams that they wouldn't otherwise. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, one of our greatest success stories thus far is one of our students who's been admitted to the University of Houston. I mean, this student has come a long way and he, uh, he's he been to Fort, he's been at Fortis Academy for some time. Um, he had been with us for over two years and he really struggled. And he was one of those students who would have relapse after relapse. And then it was just, he had this moment where he said, I, I want better for myself. And I, I really need you to help me. It's going to be a day by day process. And so he did that. And it wasn't without struggle. It wasn't easy, but he finally got to this point. And so he's going to be a college student, which for our students is is amazing for several reasons. Um, One of them is that many of our students haven't attended school on a regular basis. And so we know there there might be an issue with GPA and rank and different things like that because Mm -hmm. we're we're a different type of school. Um, There may be issues or gaps in their learning. So we really have to fill those things in. But if a student works hard enough, we can work equally hard with them and we can get them over that hump. And so we are so proud of him. But one other thing that Harris County does really well and I appreciate for our students, they offer internships. And so what that means is if there's we have seniors who are graduating and they're interested in going into the workforce uh, right after high school, what we do is we have them intern with one of the divisions in Harris County. And upon graduation, they receive a full time job with benefits. And we know if they're not having to struggle with work, they're not having to struggle financially, they're not having to struggle with health care, that that will help their success rate go up. Mm. And so the student that I'm speaking about, he actually received a full-time job uh, working in our records department. Mm. And so that was a, a huge turning point for him. He interned during his senior year. And when he graduated, he was granted full-time employment. Now he's enrolled at University of Houston and he's uh, participating in work study. Mm -hmm. So he no longer works for for Harris County, but he does uh, have a job still. He's doing work study at University of Houston. So we're very proud of that. Mm -hmm. That is so incredible. So incredible. Dr. Trevita Godfrey, principal at Fortis Academy in the Houston metro area. That's the Harris County Department of Education. We're so thankful you joined us. But before you go, I just need to say this. We're, we, we're launching the Mayo Lab podcast, and it's a place for educators, for parents, 
and for people throughout America who care about the well-being of our students today to come. And I must say, I don't want to embarrass you, but you really have a gift. And I hope <laughs> that listeners will make note of Dr. Trevita Godfrey as you look at panelists as we begin to dive into this well-being conversation. We're just so honored to be able to bring you on. And thank you for joining us on the Mayo Lab podcast. Well, I appreciate you, and thank you so much for bringing awareness to our school. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Mayo Lab Podcast. The Mayo Lab Podcast is produced by Dr. Natasha Jeter, Dr. Megan Rosenthal, David McGee, Alexis Lee, and Slade Lewis. This podcast was recorded at Broadcast Studio in Oxford, Mississippi. The show was mixed and mastered by Clay Jones, and our original music was composed by Slade Lewis. The Mayo Lab podcast is brought to you by the William McGee Institute for Student Wellbeing. For more information on the Mayo Lab, head over to themayolab.com and follow us on social media at the Mayo Lab. If you enjoyed listening to the Mayo Lab podcast with David McGee, we need your help. Tell others about it. And we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to this podcast. This podcast represents the opinions of David McGee and guests of the show. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for the medical advice of a licensed counselor or physician. The listener should consult with their mental health professional in any matters relating to his or her health or the health of a child.